Lauren Bond and the Metabolic Studio offers the Explorers Club to share meaningful journeys, encounters, and projects in an intimate setting at the Metabolic Studio. Session 31, October 13, 2016, features Lisa Marr and Paolo Devanzo presenting The Sound We See, growing a global slow film movement. Let's tune in, connect, and listen. Park Film Center. Should I start with this? Talk about it. So once again, my name is Paolo. I used to teach kindergarten, so if it's hard for you, Paolo. It's a way to remember Paolo. Um, and I'm from Italy. We went, went over the hits. Um, but I started the Echo Park Film Center 15 years ago because my parents were both community activists working for the, the homeless and the disenfranchised and the marginalized. And they died very early in my life, in my early 20s. I'm now in my mid-40s. So I, I opened a center to celebrate their legacy of activism and giving. So from day one, we've done free classes for kids. We've taught over 10,000 kids. We do free classes for senior citizens. We have a cinema that shows films three days a week, anything except Hollywood features. So every other movie we try to support. Yay, right? I love Hollywood features, but we don't need to see more of them, right? You know, let's see other movies. Let's hear other people's stories. Um, we have an artist in residency program. We have a magic blue bus, which uh, Lauren and, and, and the, the studio was helpful in, uh, in, in giving us a grant years ago to purchase, and it drives all over the world doing free workshops. We've been to Mexico, New York City, doing everything we do at the Film Center, but itinerant, and then we do an artist in residency program. So those are the greatest hits, and it's also a love story, which I think people have heard, but. It's a love story. Yeah. I just happened to walk in on the opening day. I'm from uh, Vancouver, Canada. I was in an all-girl punk rock band, moved to LA by um, chance, not by choice. I've since come to love it, but let me tell you, it was a hard sell for that first couple of years. <laughs> not loving LA, but I love it now. It's my home. And um, I just had made my first film because I found an old camera, an old Super 8 camera in a thrift store in Joshua Tree and made my first film to go with one of my songs and walked into this place in my neighborhood Echo Park and there was this guy who had a beard and he had big hair then and he said, we're opening a film center today. Welcome. So that was 15 years ago. It's yeah. so love, everybody. It's so love. We're yeah. love, love to be in love. Exactly. Love to love. So it changed my life. You know, anywhere you go, any door you walk through, you know, your life can be changing. So maybe you today, ready for that? I think someone at this table is going to fall in love. Someone really? might have a baby. That's really? happening. Look at that. I feel happens. like someone might have a baby Boom. after me. Yeah, that's that. right. Yeah. Just that's what happens when you fall in love. Okay. Magical spaces and places. So um, yeah, it's been a beautiful 15-year journey. But since the very beginning, we've always done free classes for local youth, and um, it started out very local, like the the actual block and we love analog film you know we're realists we understand digital is where the world's at today but we also love analog film and we find that the youth that we're working with love analog film too um, many of them say things just like I don't remember a time before Facebook I had my first sexual experience online these are like 12 and 13 year olds by the way um, I've had several identities online but you know when they start getting into analog filmmaking which is you know both the history of film and also of our neighborhood Echo Park was known as Edendale. It's where all the early film studios were. Um, but it's a different way for them to relate to um, being an artist, being a citizen, being creative. So we try to do as many analog classes as we can. There's a couple of students from the very early years shooting with Super 8 film. 
So let's take a journey. Bump it a bomb. Lisa, take it away. So uh, each of the classes, the longer term classes that we have for youth, focus on a different theme and different technology. So um, we did a class in the fall of 2010, and it was called "The Sound We See." And the idea was, you know, we've done classes on, you know, street art. We've done classes on uh, radical activism in our neighborhood. We've done classes on what it means to work, uh, notions of family, community, things like that. But this theme was going to be about the city symphony genre. So. Has anyone, has anyone seen this film, Berlin, Symphony of a Great City? It's amazing. If you haven't seen it, it's one of the original City Symphony films made in 1927 in Berlin by a filmmaker called Walter Rutman. And it was kind of a 24-hour look at Berlin at that time. And cinema was new, and the urban experience was still quite new for people. And so it brought those two things together. And uh, it experimented. It looked at this urban environment as a dynamic place with many people moving around in it. So we thought, well, it could be interesting to bring these kinds of films. Another one is called Man with a Movie camera, you might have seen that, the Soviet film that really kind of was a, in some ways a propaganda piece celebrating the proletariat, but also um, a tour de force of experimental cinema um, shot in also the 20s in uh, a lot of Kiev, Ukraine, Soviet Union. Um, but what if we took this concept and updated it and invited local youth to uh, reimagine what their city would look like using technology essentially from the time of the first city symphony. So shooting on 16 millimeter film, uh, analog film, uh, silent film, black and white film, and dividing the day up into 24 hours, uh, one hour segments, where each hour of the day would become a minute on film. So we had 37 youth in the class. The youngest was 11 years old. The oldest was 19. They chose an hour of the day that they thought they could imagine something meaningful to them that would represent Los Angeles for that day. And uh, they went on and shot the film. And did anyone see that? Did anyone go when we showed it at the downtown Independent? Was anyone part of our tribe there? You were there. I love it. And it was one of those moments where you just had goosebumps and you wanted to cry because it personified community filmmaking. This all-star band scored it. They played live. And at the end, people were just cheering. And, and it's one of those films that people go, oh, cute, these kids made a film. Like, we show this film at film festivals all over the world, and it gets awards, and not just because kids made it, because it's a beautiful, beautiful film. So if you get a chance, check out the L.A. It's the first one. These, those are some of the kids. Yeah. Once again, if you're a mother, a father, an aunt, um, a good neighbor, if you know any young people, send them our way. Always free classes. So that's the poster of the premiere. We talked about it. Um, yeah, and the, the, the students really were transformed by the experience. They talked about how it was more meaningful to them, that the notion of time changed. You know, because again, when you're shooting, film is a different kind of way of looking at the world than digital, right? We're so used to being able to make, make films on our phones or, you know, whatever, a million different ways and instantly upload them. You know, this is a different story. You have to take your time. You don't know what you're getting instantly. Um, you t take a leap of faith. There's no sound embedded in it. Um, and they were uh, given two rolls of film, so total that's less than six minutes. And they had to cut that six minutes down to uh, one minute. And then they met with these musicians, a group of musicians, to tell them what they envisioned hearing, because of course the film is silent, right? So kind of working with other artists as equals to envision this um, sound of music coming together. So after that, we got invited to do the same project in Rotterdam and um, to see if it would work in another community, not our home base, not a place we'd already been working for 10 years, but somewhere completely new. Yeah, this is exciting. First, I love the sound, because yeah. it's like a weird thing in our lives. In our apartment, 
they're demoing the apartment beneath us, so all day we hear brrr, and at the film center, they're demoing the space beneath us, so it's a very familiar sound. Yeah. It's nice. It's very familiar Constru sound. All, all the time. Yeah, I feel like I'm at home. The urban environment, we're in it. We're so in it. Rotterdam, as the Dutch people like to say, Jaime, am I close? Rotterdam. Um, <laughs> It's a great city, it's a port city, it's like LA, it's an immigrant city like LA, there's tons of similarities. But the thing that's um, maybe unique about this place, Holland is still very very white large, in, in many parts of it, but Rotterdam is largely an immigrant city, the neighborhood we lived in, 95% were from elsewhere, Capo Verde, Turkey, Suriname, um, and they felt like they weren't represented on the screen, they didn't see themselves in the cinema, they didn't see themselves on TV. So the, the, we once again meeting with young and old college students, I think the youngest was 13, the eldest was 45. We made this kind of cross-generational film where they wanted to see themselves in the movie, right? So they kind of took ownership of the means of production and said, we want to celebrate our city and we want to be characters in the narrative, right? And, and Lauren, some of you remember, was very sweet to invite us. A couple years ago, we screened it on the side of the building here of the studio. I think a lot of you were there. It was a very special evening, so we thank you for that. So they learned, you know, all kinds of skills. We made a, there was a organization, an arts organization we partnered with there called Worm and a place called the Filmwork Platz. And they are kind of on the forefront of experimental procedures. You know, labs are going away. So in a lot of ways, we need to become our own labs. We need to take the means of production into our own hands and also invite people into um, the storytelling realm that have traditionally been excluded, as Paolo said. So there were some skills building. There was some, you know, how to use the camera. We watched films. There actually were a lot of experimental films already created in Rotterdam from the 1920s on. It was already a very um, forward-thinking city in terms of architecture before it was completely leveled in World War II. And after that, it was a canvas for more experimentation. So they do already have a history of avant-garde cinema and architecture there. Um, you know, making storyboards, all these things. But it also created this family because the students came from all over the city. Some were, um, again, foreign-born. Some were the children of immigrants. Some were exchange students. Um, they were all looking at Rotterdam in their own way. Um, and the the one thing that was a big takeaway was that everybody started hugging each other. And that really freaked some of the Dutch people out. They're like, we don't really hug each other. And all these kids are suddenly hugging each other and talking about how they're part of a family now. So um, it was an interesting sideline to that. And also... How long were, was it, or did you work with them? project was three months long and that was about the same as the LA one we had about three months so to recruit and and to work on the film and to present the film well we took a sabbatical from the film center and we taught at, at the university there some art classes and we made this film so we kind of just moved to Europe for six months and wanted to um it really embed ourselves in that community. So, and also for us thinking about different ways to do things. You know, the bicycle reigns there. So, to to be fully outside of car culture and to be able to do um, guerrilla screenings using a bike with a box on the front, everything we need in the box, and to go out and and do these screenings outdoors, it, it changed the way we thought about how to present cinema as well. And we bought one of these. We were so into the, the, the and once again, I'm killing every Dutch word. Jaime's going to yell at me, but the box feet, I think it's called, the, where it's like a basically box bicycle. So we bought one. We have one at the film center now, and we do kind of guerrilla actions. We do screenings and in locations. We just pop up and show movies. So, so now we're in Vietnam. We a friend of ours was getting her dissertation at UC San Diego and studying community cinema. She grew up in Hanoi, Vietnam. So the Echo Park Film Center was a case study. And she went back to her, her hometown of Hanoi and started a, a, a documentary film center 
based under the Echo Park Film Center, Film Center model, and then invited us to work um, with these young people. So they were all like, like professionals. Some were architects, some were raising a family, some sold fruit on the side of the road, but they all loved making films and they would meet at night after these long days and make documentary films, but they never made an experimental film. They never shot on analog film, right? Exactly. So we made a little dark room in the, in the bathroom of the Goethe Institute where they were located and hand processed all the film, hung it up to dry, and they did some installations and had a big screening at the end and that was a major part of each component, you know, a major component of each of these projects is gathering people at the end to watch the film and celebrate the film. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a very intensive discussion. Um, the class was supposed to last two hours. It would routinely go for five hours because everyone was so interested in, um, you know, talking and, and critiquing each other's work. They took it very, very, very seriously there. And the screening was the same. Like, people were, some people were really angry about the screening. They were just like, what is this? This is so nostalgic. Like, this is terrible. Like, what's going on? So, it was, um, it was definitely a, a highly charged environment for the exchange of ideas. Because maybe, sorry, we're covering so much information, but if you missed it, we're trying to emulate the City Symphony style of the 20s and 30s. So all the films are shot in black and white, shot on motion picture film. There's no sync sound. There's always a live orchestra or band that plays the evening of the event, right? We've had punk bands. We've had DJs. We've had folk singers. Um, we'll, we'll explain more about that. So, so some people in Vietnam felt like, we are the modern, we are the new. Why are you romanticizing the old? But, but once again, we, don't, we never make films about a culture. We give people the tools to make films about themselves, right? So you, the only critique would be with the citizens of that place. Um, but we'll move on. But most people loved it. They said, we think 500 people will show up. We said, what? 500 people? Why would 500 people show up? 500 people showed up. People were hanging on trees. People were like on balconies across the building. People were like on each other's shoulders. They were hungry for live cinema. It was amazing. So now we're in India. Um, we were invited by a radical art collective in Guwahati, if anyone's been to India. It's uh, near Bhutan and, 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 and Bangladesh. It's on the far, I'm bad with this part, eastern side. Um, so you want to explain a bit about the collective we worked with? Yeah, there are a Marxist art collective called um Perry Ferry and also the what is it called the Desire Machine Collective. Desire Machine Collective yeah. and they're a husband and wife team and they do sort of more high art um, conceptual art around the world but they hadn't really worked with their immediate community so this was a chance for them to they live in a traditional house and they were able to open up the house we lived in the house we taught in the house um, and uh, open it up to the younger people in the community to explore this idea of what their city looked like on film and this is when, you know, for the first few we used Kodak film, we used, you know, Kodak chemicals, but we're really into this eco movement where you kind of move away from traditional processes. So there we used tea, it's, you know, it's very close to Darjeeling, world famous tea, and also instant coffee, which blew their mind. Right? Once again, it's a culture that didn't really never touched film, even though Bollywood is such a huge part of Indian pop culture, regional cinema is non-existent, and Bollywood actually tries to stamp it out, right? They want to kind of have a monopoly on the way people tell stories. So these people are telling their own story once again, using the local ingredients to process the film. And Gandhi said, you know, decades ago that there would never be a truly Indian cinema until Indians owned the means of production to create their own cinema. So ironically, although they do now through Bollywood, for the other storytellers, you know, they are, they still need the means of production to create their own cinema. And uh, I think it was in, um, I think it was in 2010 that Lauren and I went to Jamaica and learned this process from Robert Shaler to, to process um, 
using coffee, vitamin C, and washing soda. And uh, initially, we were using very expensive Jamaican coffee and learned that um, you don't need to use expensive coffee. You need to use the cheapest coffee. And then a filmmaker in Berlin, Doggy Brundert, started pushing that experiment farther. What if we use flowers or tea or vodka or beer or kumquats or whatever um, instead of coffee? And as it turns out, you can use all these natural substances to process your film. So it's been pushing that process a little further to invite people to think about what are the local, the truly local ingredients um, around them to use that to process their film and bring the local even more into the process. And just imagine time, right? LA was four months, Rotterdam three months, um, Vietnam three weeks. Now we're down to two weeks, right? Not because we're being frugal with our time, but because, you know, grant funding, other requirements, you know, time constraints by institutions. We're like, how little of amount of time can we do this, right? If you, if you love food and you want to eat at everyone's home, make a movie in India. Because after every hour, people invite you to their house and you're sitting with grandma and you're eating food for four hours and, and you, you can't leave till you're like rolling out the door and stuff. But amazing yeah. cultural experience for us, yeah. The other thing there too is, you know, like when you're in LA filming, people are like, don't film me, don't film me. Get, you can't get out of my property. Like you can't be in. In India, everyone's like, oh, what are you doing? Are you filming? Like, oh, could I be in the, would you like me to be in it? No, I don't need to be in it. I don't need to be in it. Do you want to film in my house? Like, come on in, come on in. Like people love the movies and cinema so much there. And so everybody was just so excited to be part of this. And um, this time we made a makeshift darkroom out of a closet and just processed in buckets. We didn't have the Lomo tank. It was just, it was very kind of basic, but um, you know, put it in these buckets and hang it up. You don't need a lot to make your own film lab. Another thing we did while we were in India was, um, and this in, in the same way that the this is my Lone Pine project, it's sort of like um, sound we see adjacent. You know, there are projects that invite people in. They're not exactly sound we see projects, but in Lone Pine in 2012, exactly four years ago, we spent two days with these, you know, amazing group of youth, and they went all around their town and made their film and showed it. It was beautiful. In India, we had um, two weeks at the National Institute of Design that was. Um, this jump started in part with the encouragement of um, Charles and Ray Eames, who really felt that Indians needed to concentrate on their own craft instead of just emulating things from other places and you know really celebrate what they already had. So they made this pretty amazing campus in Ahmedabad, and um, the students have something called open electives, where they get two weeks, and grad students and undergrads come together, and they're allowed to like do something wacky. So we were one of the wacky bunch that came, and we made our own cameras again based on a model by filmmaker Robert Shaler, who was also so again, our, our mentor in learning the eco process, but reusing um, waste materials, recycled materials, that square black box is what the film comes in. And um, they had an amazing shop there, so each of the students made their own camera. And, and there's were, an example of that film, Good Lord and the team made years ago, a beautiful film using that camera in, with, with Robert in Owens Valley. If you haven't seen it, you should really check it out. Yeah, yeah. The two-day shootout. Three-day shootout. Um, so this was the class. Again, you know, a diverse bunch. There's uh, 100,000 applications every year for the school for 100 spots. So the intensity is insane. The pressure on these kids is insane. And all the grad students, they're already an engineer. They're already like a doctor, right? They have to have some amazingly advanced degree uh, before their parents will even let them consider the idea of making art, right? Um, so our agenda was like, let's hang out. Like, there's this beautiful campus. 
there's monkeys and peacocks and kittens like roaming around everywhere and it's outside and it's January so it's not too hot so we'd always like to start the day by like talking about life and you know um, what do you guys think about arranged marriage what do you think about gay rights in India you know we'd all talk and we'd hang out for a while we'd do some work and the other um, professors that were kind of getting mad at us like it was like who are these hippies from California <laughs> the guy who came to do to make comics with everybody they were locked in this kind of glass room so you could see them and he wouldn't even let them eat chapati with their lunch because he said it's going to make you tired and you're not going to be able to work as hard after lunch so they were just like pumping out these comics every day comics comics the whole room was filled with comics and they were working from eight in the morning till midnight and for us you know it was about maybe thinking about things in different ways and it is interesting you know being in the dark room with people um, it is a great time to talk and tell stories and in India a lot of that talk when I was in the dark room with the uh, women students and the and the young girls we would talk about women's rights in India a lot and when the boys were in the dark room they would sing Bollywood songs really loud and they wouldn't realize that we could all hear them outside the dark room so you know it's a, it's a free space in a way it's you're in the dark we're together we can talk about things we're also making something together and it's beautiful and showing it so um, that's a nice part of the process this is Old Crow. You want to talk a little, little bit about Old Crow? Yeah, I mean, Old Crow is a very special place. It's in the Yukon Territory, First Nations community, the Vuntutguichen. Um, we, we have the pleasure. Lisa played, she mentioned she played in a punk band with this amazing lady called Lisa G, who happens to be the amazing sister of Rich Nielsen, who you work with and we love. So, so we've known this Motley crew for many, many years and in some in incarnation over 20, 30 years now. But she's an amazing filmmaker and works largely with First Nations communities in Canada. Lisa's from Canada. So she said, wow, I've always done video with these, with these young people. Would you be considered doing analog film? We said, sure, let's do it. So, you know, there's no roads that lead here. You have to fly in or take a river to get there. Um, it's a town of 300 people. The youngest filmmaker was seven. The eldest was 87. They, the Vuntutguichen language, they're losing. Only seven elders speak it. So the soundtrack of the film is the, the, the Vuntutguichen language that they're teaching to the youth to preserve the language. Beautiful film. We, this is one, they're all beautiful. I, they're like little people, little kids or whatever analogies you love. But this one really resonates, especially in overseas communities um, with a lot of different communities because there's a, a, there's a real beauty to it, a real sense of family. Yeah, and, and really just resilience and sustainability. You know, when you have to fly in on a tiny plane, you really can't bring anything in. And th at that time, they didn't even have a grocery store. So we knew that, you know, unlike Vietnam, when something broke, they could make anything out of anything, you know. And they're just like, uh, again, another story of resilience from past history. But here, if something broke, we really, we didn't have any raw materials to really make anything out of it, even if we wanted to. So we had to be really careful with that. And again, the sustainability issue was even more key. So processing with pine needles, processing with wild cranberries, which is a major food source. It was uh, the time of the hunt. So everybody was super busy, you know. It's like they, they exist caribou. off caribou yeah, meat yeah. and moose meat, and they have to hunt to get it. And and with environmental degradation, there's fewer and fewer caribou. They're changing their patterns, so everyone's trying to adjust. But they still took time as a community to, to work with us, 250 people in the community, to work and make this film together. And um, that's their um, cultural center. But yeah, we got to go on hunts. We got to go fishing. We got to go up, up river to um, sort of the wilderness, wood gathering, all these really amazing things. And then that's the, um, the community hall. So all those pictures you see, you can't see the details, but they're all the elders. They're all the people that have passed on. Um, it's a very tight-knit community. Um, very scarred by things like the residential schools um, and past issues, but 
again, really moving forward and, and very strong, beautiful people. Um, and yeah, there's the big community feast, lasagna. Everyone was really stoked. Lasagna. And there's Lisa G. She's on the uh, right-hand side there. And we always, we didn't mention this, but we always leave the resources with the community. So we bring cameras, projectors, you know, a bag full of Super 8 film, and we leave it. And we just got an email from one of the elders saying, What's the recipe again? I want to shoot some Super 8. So, like, they're still using it, some more than others, but it's like, you know, teach someone to fish, they'll fish their entire life. So, we always leave the tools so they can continue making the films. Yeah. So, now we're in England, um, Somerset, England. Um, where do you start with this? I don't know. Um, it's a very posh kind of area. It's where Glastonbury, the big festival, is, right? A lot of people have summer homes there. But we were kind of in, like, the tough, it was called Bridgewater. We could pronounce it Bridgewater or Bridgewater. Um, but it was, a, yeah, you talk about it. That's cider. We processed the, the film in cider. You yeah, know, that was very, local, it's known for its cider. Our local stuff. So we did some cider processing. And um, it was interesting. Like, a lot of the, this group was older people, and specifically older women. And for them, you know, they'd worked all their lives as caregivers and at jobs maybe they weren't that keen on. And at a certain point, they were all just saying, like, fuck it, I'm 65. Like, I'm making art now. It's my turn. So, and they, they would just, you know, their husbands would agree to this somehow. I don't know. They were just tough. And they all had, like, a million exhibits. Like, I'm doing sculpture. I'm doing painting. Like, I've got this, you know, video thing on. And they hadn't done film. So that was kind of the last piece of their puzzle. So they were in there doing it, and it was amazing. But, yeah, really great community. And for the... the the live performance, we said, you know, we've had DJs and punk bands. It was an a cappella group of teenage girls. And the soundtrack will blow your mind. Like, it's so beautiful. And it's like, like it, these are all online. You know, we, it takes six hours to show you all the movies. But um, go online if you want to see that one. It's the Somerset sound we see. So, Berlin, this was uh, last year. So, interesting, you know, the way communities come together. Sometimes we work with an agency that recruits for us before we get there. Sometimes we have to do the recruiting. Um, in this case, Doggy Brunder, we mentioned her before, the eco processing queen. She's down there next to Paolo making the peace sign. Um, in the case of this project, it was really just a, a shout out to friends and family. We used social media. Anyone who wanted to participate could participate, word of mouth. Um, and there's some people in the group that had been, you know, living in Berlin since before the wall came down, and then there was some people that had been there for two weeks. And, you know, it's different to see how people relate to their city. For some people, you know, the new Berlin is very different from the old Berlin, and these young people, they're not really Berliners and all this stuff, you know, but for um, a situation where people are leaving other parts of Europe for, you know, more economic opportunity, more arts opportunity, it's a hub for all these, you know, cultural activities and whatnot, it has truly become this sort of global building there and that's reflected we had filmmakers from um, Mongolia, Mongolia yeah. from Spain from Canada from United States from all parts of Germany you know just a real array of people coming together to make this film and to be back in arguably the birth you know with the Rootman film we're in Berlin we're making a city symphony it was a very uh, powerful experience so and to show the film mainly in um, squatted spots or former squats, you know, again, this idea of gentrification and really how cities are changing and how fast they are changing has become a big part of this project. You know, it's the same story everywhere we go. We're facing it in L.A. very directly with even the film center wondering if we're going to have a space in two years when our lease comes up for renewal. But, you know, in uh, Berlin, we were, the lab was in an old, um, it had been a swimming pool. And there were all the, you know, the, there was raves every Friday in the pool itself, and then there were all these other um, rooms in the space where artists were. And the day before we were supposed to process, 
um, the landlord put a lock on the door and said, nobody's allowed to come in here anymore. So we were able to sneak in and stay in just long enough to, to process 12 rolls of film. So it was like, phew. But um, again, just this idea of like everyone is, a, is on the move. Everyone is wondering what's going to happen. And, and what does community look like when we're constantly being uprooted and moved around? So, you know, shameless promotion, if you're excited about hand processing and all this stuff, we do it at the film center, come by, the, you know, adults, it's always free for kids and seniors, 30, 40 bucks, you can learn all this fun stuff if you want to touch film and play around with the analog film. That says, I love, uh, you know, Super 8 in German. Yeah. So now we're in Vancouver, back to Lisa's roots. Yeah, back to my hometown. So this was exciting. And this was a project that was really a three-way partnership between the Film Center and us going there um, and a social service agency called The Gathering Place, which really works with marginalized people, but in an amazing facility. They have a library. They have a place you can wash your clothes. They have a gym. They have all kinds of programs. Um, but they hadn't really been working with youth too much. So, And then a, a sort of sister organization to the Film Center called Cineworks that, that works with independent filmmakers, but again, not that much with youth, and they have all these resources, so it was kind of the perfect combination. So these were all kids um, that were homeless or very uh, recently homeless. They're facing um, drug addiction, um, physical issues, mental illness issues, uh, all kinds of pretty severe um, challenges in their lives and really came together to make this film. Again, it's interesting what you see in the films and what you don't see in the films. In this film, there's really no interior space because they don't have any interior space. And even if they do, they're living in places where you're not allowed to have guests, things like that, right? So navigating those. It was the first film where we had nudity in the film. That's not the nudity, but there is nudity in the film that caused a really big rift with people because, again, we're not controlling the content. We're just providing the means, right? So um, there was a, a, someone who had just moved to Canada from Nigeria, and then there was a, sort of a French-Canadian circus performer, and she had lived in the woods beside the beach for uh, about six months, and every morning would just go swimming naked in the ocean. And the Nigerian man was very upset that... Well, oh, he was deeply Christian. He'd been converted to Christianity in, yeah. in Nigeria. And, and new to Canada. And just, yeah. you know, these whole... This, he was felt that she was disrespecting herself. And she, as an artist, felt like, as, an, as a woman artist, she had the right to show herself in any way she chose. So a really interesting way to, you know, work through these issues together because we have to show the film together, right? So everyone has to agree and be proud of the work they made. We can't have someone feeling upset about it. So, you know, a lot of these discussions that go along with the process of filmmaking lead to new understandings, new collaborations. And it was the first time people got paid, and that's largely because of the Canadian social structure, um, and they wanted to pay the kids, but it was very tenuous because you pay kids, a lot of them are dealing with abuse issues. When they would get paid, we wouldn't see them for a few days because they would be buying drugs and other things, and then they would reappear, so they paid them in little segments so they couldn't just get all the money. And, I mean, intense, intense, very real issues. We get to come spread the love and go away. These kids are dealing with this um, every day and continuously, right? So Yeah, we did um, have someone OD during the shooting, and that was like a little bit, you know, again, just thinking like, wow, you know. And she came through it, and she, you know, finished the film and was super proud of the film, but, you know, just like, yeah, never had to deal with that before, so... There they are. So there they are, the Motley Crue. Yeah. Um, and it was the first time we ever made a film, and then we went back for the premiere. 
And it was once again because of the grant structure, and they really wanted to premiere, premiere it at this big street festival. But because of that, these kids are itinerant. Only a few showed up to the screening, right? But we had a special screening, which we thought was the screening with the kids. We got pizza. They were all there. They were so proud. We gave them all T-shirts. They were crying. They were hugging. So that, to us, was the real premiere. The, the big fancy premiere was, was kind of after the fact. But. And they do put little secret messages to themselves and each other in the film. So it's, it's interesting to look at the films. You know, again, they're sort of language neutral for the most part. But to see these little moments in all the films that are almost like these little gifts, either to each other or secret messages or things like that. So for this film, they, there's a very famous icon in Vancouver that's a steam clock. And if you've ever been to the, in Vancouver, it's like, go to the steam clock. It's a steam clock. It's in Gastown. It's a steam clock. And number one, it's kind of a fake steam clock. But people don't know that because it doesn't even really work on those mechanisms. And number two, the reason that the steam clock was put there in the 1970s was to cover a hot air grate to keep homeless people from sleeping there, right? So it's a tourist attraction that's really just a celebration of gentrification, right? And uh, there's always people around taking pictures. So that's in the film. It features prominently, you know, and again, it has more resonance being filmed by someone who is homeless, obviously. So so we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're heading towards the end, folks. Yeah. The patience is beautiful, but we're almost there. Tokyo. Now we're in Japan. Tokyo. We're in Japan. It's great. Um, so this one was the only film that was truly done over 24 hours. We talked about how long. So the longest stint has been about three and a half months, and the shortest was 24 hours. So we met. We were sponsored by a gallery there called Blum and Poe, um, and they put the word out. And um, it was interesting to work mainly with artists, um, but not... I mean, they weren't really artists because they were the people that helped the artists. So they were always like, like supporting the artists yeah. and putting up the art and like calling about the art and promoting the art, but they never got to make the art. So finally they got to make their own art. Mm. So that was really great. Um, but it, we met there at 8 o'clock. We talked about the film structure. We showed them how to use a camera. At midnight we left and we finished the next night at midnight. And we took our nephew, we have a lovely nephew named Max. We took him to Japan with us, and he's like, I've never stayed up all night. This is going to be the first time I'm going to stay up all night. He's drinking like Red Bulls. He's drinking like those little Japanese coffee drinks. And then we're walking down the street, and at 4 in the morning, I'm like, where's Max? And he just passed out like a drunk man in the bushes. Like he went, boom, like out. So we carried him home, and he did not stay up all night. It's still, it's the elusive thing for the young teenager. But yeah. Someday. But some people stayed up all night. We stayed up all night, but yeah. And then we it's, dropped it at a lab. This one, we didn't have time for the community to hand process. So it just went to a lab, and it came back from the lab. No editing whatsoever. And most of these films only have minimal editing. There's no computer effects. Everything has to be done in camera. But this one, truly, like, no editing at all. Cut together, just, like, put all together on one reel. Um, the musicians came. Uh, and without having seen the film, and we just performed it, and they just did the soundtrack live. So, so we like get it. The musicians had never seen the film. We had never seen the film. The filmmakers had never the, seen the. No one had ever seen the filmmakers, and we said, "Let's watch the movie together." And that's the one we're showing today after this lecture. Once again, it's online. You, I know you have to get back to work. If you want to hang out, it's 30, you know, 24 minutes long. We're, we're going to show that. But these yeah. are just stills from, you know, now we're in India. You can probably figure out just by looking. That's the pinhole. This is Old Crow. So these are all stills, right? That's uh, Somerset on a farm, Berlin. Berlin. That's Is that the last, last one? one, yeah. Yeah. So wow, you guys are awesome. I'm feeling the love. But any questions, comments? Questions or comments? Yeah. Anybody? No? Bo's got a lot to say. Yeah. She's like, when are you going to do the one for dogs? Well, Bo, coming up. Yes. 
Well, thank you so much. I mean, uh, for those of you who um, don't know, um, Paolo and Lisa were part of the history of the Metabolic Studio. When I started my work in 2005 with Lana Cornfield, I had no idea what that uh, installation would yield. And so I asked Paolo and Lisa if they would work with me and just film everything. And um, we, that journey went on for several years, uh, and um, since then, um, they've been doing all of this incredible work around the world. But there's been a lot of synergistic cross-pollination around the idea of film as magic, you know? And it's a universal magic that's pre-linguistic, in a way. There's something about light and uh, film material colliding that brings a sense of magic to everybody. And um, recently, I went to a conference in London for the 50th anniversary of the London Filmmakers Cooperative, and I thought a lot about what you guys have done with your with your uh, practice of really enabling uh, creativity to flourish without it necessarily being product-driven at the end of it, you know? And um, that was what, in many ways, the spirit of the London Filmmakers Cooperative was, was to enable, uh, especially women, who had felt kind of shut out of the film industry at that time, to have the means of production, but also the means of distribution, which can often be a problem for filmmakers. And they even kind of, like what you were doing, were challenging the idea of a passive audience. So if they were watching a film and they felt like standing up and singing, in the middle of it or dancing, that was all fair game. Like you didn't have to sit still and watch from beginning to ending. So I guess I was just um, wanted to say how much uh, it's meant to me to know you guys and know what you're doing in the world. And I feel so inspired by all of these projects that you're doing and bringing these common threads of humanity together in this very delicate and poetic way. So, so thank you for, for coming today and sharing it. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. That we was, really yeah. do. Yeah. Thanks. So sweet. Thank, thank you. you. That's and we really do encourage everyone to, you know, get involved, to tell your stories. And, you know, we continue to work together. We've been doing some eco-processing over the last few months. And we continue to learn from every community we work with. And every, you know, engagement yields new ideas, new inspiration. So, yeah, please get involved, you know, make something. And, uh, and to echo those sentiments, I mean, we are equally huge fans of you, Lauren, in this studio. And we said in the beginning, I think you were elsewhere, that we were here seven years, and those are some of the most special years of our lives. We got to know your family. We traveled to South Dakota. We went all over the world making mischief and, and mayhem and, and beauty, so it, very special times. And I feel like that relationship continues in many forms. So we thank you all. Exactly. Um, so yeah, take a break. Shake your bodies. We're just going to put it on because we're going to eat a little lunch and yeah. chill out. And then, but we're not precious. Come and go. Walk, yeah, you can you know. stand up, shout, sing yeah. a song too. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I like exactly. Filmmakers Club. So the sound we see, Tokyo. Enjoy. Thanks for being here, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Explorers Club session. For more information, please visit metabolicstudio.org. And thank you.